Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, teaching pastor for Riverwood. Uh, really glad that you are here. When I was in fourth grade, I had a love-hate relationship with recess. I loved it because obviously I got to go outside. But I hated it because I would inevitably end up back the large grassy area where most of the boys would gather for an impromptu game of football. And the reason I hated it is because I knew I would stand there as the self-selected captains would begin to choose their teams, and I would be one of the last chosen. And I don't understand why. Just because I was smaller, slower, and weaker than the other players, they just still, for some reason, didn't want me on their team. Uh, in fact, there were times where it felt like it was just down to me and one other guy, and the two captains would look at each other and kind of shrug as if to say, I don't want them. You want to take them both? This hierarchy of humanity, this determining who is worthy of being a part of your team, worthy of being in your life, it, it can be really, really harmful and damaging. And yet we as Americans do it all the time. We are constantly ranking people, determining which is better than everything else. We're always looking for the goat, the greatest of all time. Now, ranking can be kind of fun when it's something harmless like the top 25 movies about ducks. And we all know Mighty Ducks tops that list, duh. But when it comes to kids on a playground, the, the certain people in a certain department at work, those certain kids at school, the, those people in your neighborhood, that group that votes differently, those people who look differently, sound different, now it isn't fun and silly. It, it can actually become dangerous and even deadly. Now you might think I'm getting a little extreme, except for the fact that all you have to do is look throughout history and see that what I say is true. There have been people abused, mistreated, and even killed because of their skin color or because of their tribe or because of the way they vote, or the way they worship, of the things that they believe, for the ways that they wear, the way that they act out in public. And, and we wish we could just say, oh, but that's what happened back in World War II with Germany and, and Hitler. No, sadly, some of that stuff still happens today. And, and so it has to change. And I believe what is going to bring the change is an understanding of the Imago day. If this is your first week with us in a while or ever, uh, this is week three of a series called the Imago Day, a, a Latin phrase that means the image of God. In week one of our series, we went to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, chapter one, verses 26 and 27, and we saw that a triune God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they said together, let us make mankind in our image. And so it says that after his own likeness, male and female, he created them. Well, what we discovered in week one is that that image, which is like a brand upon the soul of, of a human or God's signature upon his masterpiece, that that gives humans tremendous value. But we took the time to ask ourselves, all right, but, but what, what is the value of a human? Here's how valuable they are. They're worth the life of Jesus. Jesus, God the Son, was there at creation when they made mankind, it's God the Son saying, hey, I'm going to do this with you. Let's, let's create man in our image. And so when he sees the image, he, he doesn't get it. Uh, uh, sorry. He doesn't get it. Uh, uh, he, he's mad that sin stole them away. And, and so he goes in to this earth, takes on human flesh to look like another image bearer, but he does what we couldn't do. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve sin. When they sinned, sin comes into the created order, and it tried to scratch out the brand of God. It, it tried to blur it, to mar it, to erase it. Now, sin did a pretty good job. It really messed it up. However, it couldn't eliminate it. God could still see his brand, his signature upon humans, and he knew that is mine and so because he loves what he's created, Jesus willingly came to pay the penalty that we should have paid for our sin 
so that he might begin the process of restoring the image of God within us so that we will, as we put it at Riverwood, love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. So that's how valuable humans are. They are worth the life of Jesus. Then in week two, what we saw was that the um, image of God shows that we belong to God. Like I said, if it's, if it's a brand or a signature, it, it's saying that God has ownership of us. However, when Adam and Eve sinned, it's like sin stole us away from God. And so Jesus came and purchased us. He went and paid the penalty that we should have paid for our sin. And by doing so, by dying on the cross, he purchased us, he redeemed us from sin. And so what we saw from 1 Corinthians 7 is that that means you are now doubly God's. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been created by God, but you've also been purchased by God. So you are doubly his, which means you cannot just go and do with your body and your mind whatever you want. You belong to God. But what we saw is that that doesn't mean that suddenly now you're like this suppressed slave of God's. No, this is actually freeing because you see, sin is what has kept you trapped. That's what has kept you enslaved. And Jesus Christ came to free you. So the greatest place you can be is to give your life to God and let him be your owner, your master. So this week, week three, what I want to do is I want to take what we saw in week one, that, that humans are valuable, and we're going to combine it with what we saw in week two, that we belong to God. And by bringing this together, it will help, help us see how we are to interact with our fellow image bearers, how we should be um, uh, loving them and, and respecting them. I, I think that there are a lot of people who have this uh, knowing, innate sense of these two truths we just talked about. However, they get them twisted. What they do is, is they realize that, that the Imago Dei is valuable, but rather than seeing the value in others, all they focus on is the value of themselves. And so they live a very self-focused life. Or they see the value in others as long as those people look like me, sound like me, vote like me, dress like me, eat the same kind of foods, watch the same movies. Like those people have value. But anyone else who's different, uh, no. Then... We know that we belong to God, and so therefore we can't just do whatever we want, but they want to have the right to tell others what to do. Here's how you should vote. Here's how you should dress. Here's how you should worship. Here's how you should do this and that. And so, but when it comes to themselves, I, but you know what? I'm valuable. So God loves me. I can, I can do whatever I want. Now, they don't put this into words, but as you see through their behavior, I'm going to tell you what to do, but don't you dare tell me what to do. That's not the route we're going to go today. Instead, I'm going to challenge you to see the Imago Dei in others and realize how valuable they are. But if you're a Jesus follower, that means God's going to tell you what to do. And that means he wants you to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. And to do that, it means you have to treat others very differently than you may want to treat them. And this means we're going to have to show love we're going to have to show respect. We're going to have to give grace. We're going to have to extend kindness even to people who look different, sound different, vote different, dress different because this needs to happen for us to change the world. So to help you see this, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. Hey, Zion, if you would do us a favor, would you get the uh, end lights up as well so those on the ends can uh, see their Bibles? Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the Galatians 6. We're going to look at the uh, uh, first 10 verses and uh, read those. But then we're going to go on a little journey. I'm going to take you into the book of Revelation. We're going to see some things, and I'm going to set up what then we see back here in Galatians. So, yes, we're going to be in Galatians. Feel free to stay there. I promise you we will come back. All right, so let's read the... Uh, Oh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, I'm, I'm going to just tell you, don't worry about it. We're going to put the scripture on the screen. Uh, I just really would encourage you, though, get one. At Riverwood, we're fine with digital Bibles, so feel free to download one to your phone and use that. Or if you want to stop by our resource table, we've got some Bibles there. Uh, we just really think that by bringing your Bible here on Sunday and not relying on a screen but opening it up, that's practice to help you open it up any day of the week. We really want you to become students of the scriptures. Uh, we believe that God wrote this through human authors and that there's truths in here that can not just change your life but change the world. World. And so we really encourage you to, to get a Bible. 
and make it your own. Uh, so we're going to be in Galatians 6, uh, so let's read the first 10 verses, uh, and then uh, we'll pray and we'll jump over to Revelation. Brothers, by the word, way, the word there for brothers is general. It could be brothers and sisters. If anyone is caught in any transgression, in any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Heavenly Father, uh, we are coming into this uh, with all sorts of ideas. We're, we're hearing so much in our culture. Uh, we've heard things from our previous church. We have our own thoughts and ideas. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to not filter what we learn today through what we already believe, but instead that we would take what we believe and filter it through what you've already said. And so God, that's why I pray that you would help me to be an accurate teacher that I, I would uh, speak and preach uh, clearly in, in a line in accordance with what you've already put in these timeless scriptures. And God, when all is said and done, if there is anything that I end up saying that is not of you, would you just very graciously let us forget that? But anything that is of you, help us to hold on to that, that you would truly be changing our minds, which changes the way we, we, we think and behave and, and speak and we would be the people who would go and live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved and change this world because we honor the Imago Dei that you have put in all people. So God, teach us now so that we might become the people you see us to be and you call us to be. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Two weeks ago, uh, we were in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and then I flipped us to the very last book of Bible, uh, book of Revelation. I explained that in Revelation chapter 4, uh, the apostle John, who's writing it, is having this vision of heaven. And as he comes into heaven, he starts describing all that he's seeing, all that he's hearing, just he's, he's kind of blown away by it all. But then it moves into chapter 5. And at the beginning of chapter 5, he senses God the Father on the throne, and God's holding a scroll. And somehow John knows this scroll is really, really, really important. And yet there's no one up there worthy to open this scroll. None of the angels, none of the elders, definitely not John. And so John begins to weep. Like, this scroll's important. Someone's got to open this thing. And that's when one of the angels comes up and nudges them and goes, Dude, stop crying. Jesus is here. When Jesus walks in, the angels and the elders all start singing a song. And so we saw two weeks ago this verse from Revelation 5, verse 9. They sing to Jesus, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why is he worthy to open the scroll? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. And who are these people? Well, they are from every tribe and language and people and nation. So they sing this. Well, then we see the words of this song fulfilled two chapters over. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, John saw this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What this means is that heaven will be filled with every spectrum of humanity. There will be all sorts of different ethnicities, 
all sorts of different languages, all sorts of different worldviews, all different uh, political ideas, all different genders. Like, like, it's going to be just the biggest, widest spread you could possibly imagine. Now, don't mistake this. This is not universalism. Universalism is the belief that, well, everyone gets to go to heaven. And, and some of us kind of like this idea. You know, God's a God of love. He, he loves everybody, so everybody can come in. But then we start ranking people. Ah, uh, you know what, though, but not Hitler. And, well, Stalin was pretty bad. Well, Pol Pot did some really bad things, too. But you know what? Everyone else is probably pretty good. No. Did you, did you hear in verse 10? Salvation belongs to the Lord and the Lamb. God owns salvation, and that means he can dole it out to whomever he wants. And who he gives it to is anyone and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Those who believe that the lamb was slain, the blood was shed, so that they realize they were created by God and purchased by God, and they receive salvation. And this salvation is to anyone who would put their faith in this. Anyone. So that means if you think your ethnicity is better than others, you're going to hate heaven. This place is going to be chock full of the widest variety you've ever been around. And it's going to be beautiful. Because God created all humans in his image. And so he's passionate for them. And that is why he had Jesus tell them to go and make disciples of all nations. Because there are people there who bear the image and they need to know Jesus has purchased them through the cross. So, this means if you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot fall for the world's way of thinking about humanity. Humanity on this earth is constantly trying to rank people. We create these hierarchies. We're trying to determine who's in and who's out. And those who are in are those who have a certain skin tone, those who vote a certain way, those who listen to this kind of music, those who go to this kind of church. And what God wants us to realize is you've got to stop doing that because as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, that with God there's no partiality. So God does not look at us and go, well, you know, I like these people a little better because they're from Iowa, and Iowa's absolutely awesome. But you know, these people from, you know, these backwoods of, I don't know, Des Moines, uh, that's in Iowa, that doesn't work. <laughs> Joke failed. Uh, but, but he does not look at them and go, okay, they're worse. No, God shows no partiality. We are in his sight equal. We are all sinners in need of a savior. And his image is in us, and so he's purchased us, and we come together. And so we, the church, this wide variety of people, are one in Christ. Yesterday, I was talking with a uh, gal I was helping out with the Best Damn Run. Uh, I'm in the exchange club. We do this annual fundraiser every year. And uh, we, uh, I'm uh, beforehand talking with this gal, and somehow my sermon for today came up. And so I gave her just a microcosm of what I was going to be talking about. And she's like, oh, Aaron, that's so good. Yes, we just need to love everybody. We just need to show kindness. Man, I'm so glad you're going to be talking about that. But as she was saying it, all I could think of was, man, it is so much easier to say those words than to do those words. Because we can sit here and say, you know what? We just need to have one world group hug until that person walks in the room. And you all know who that person is. It's, it's different for each of you. Some of you, that person, it's because of their race. Some of you, it's because of their personality. Some of you, it's because of what they post on social media. Some of you, it's because of the crass jokes that they tell. For some of you, it's because of the conspiracy theories that they seem to always be spouting. We all have that person. So it's one thing for us to stand here and go, oh, yes, humans are valuable. Jesus died for them. We need to love them, show respect. Sounds good, Aaron. How do you get to this place where you can truly respect the Imago Dei in someone regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, regardless of their sexuality, regardless of their choices, regardless of their religion? I'll tell you. 
be part of a church. When my kids were young, growing up, and fights would inevitably break out. Well, for the girls it was arguments, for the boys it was fights. We would tell them, the reason God put you in a family was to practice. Have you ever realized that the people you are meanest to are the people you are closest to? It's embarrassing the tone I have used with my wife and my children at times. I would never talk to you guys that way. Why do I do that to them? Because those of you who know my wife and my children, they're awesome. If you talked to them that way, I would not like you. I would seek to respect the Imago Dei in you, but I might not want to hang out with you. So why do I do that? Because, as we told our children, if you can figure out how to love unconditionally to show respect right here in this family, you're going to be awesome out there. People are going to want to hire you. They're going to want to be your best friend. Like churches are going to like put you in leadership because they're going to sense something tremendous about you. And the way to become that kind of person is to practice right there in your family. Well, guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, the day you put your faith in Christ, you joined a family. You're part of the family of God. And so you want to figure out how to show love to the world? Be part of a family. Because a healthy church is going to give you a glimpse of what we just saw in Revelation 7. A healthy church will be diverse. It will have a diversity of ages, a diversity of income, a diversity of political views, a diversity in all sorts of areas. A healthy church will reflect the community around them. If that community even has racial differences, a healthy church will have those differences as well because they will realize it's not about our homogenous way, just trying to be uniform. No, it's diverse. Why would we want to be a part of something that's just homogenous here and then suddenly get to heaven when it's completely different? I think we're supposed to help bring a little bit of heaven to earth and not just try to escape earth to get to heaven. And so if we can practice this here, you guys are going to be amazing out there. And that is what Paul is getting at in Galatians chapter 6. So if your Bible is still open, look down there at 6 verse 10. As he's kind of summing up this whole little section as we're going to go back and talk through it, he says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, to all image bearers, everyone, let us do good. Let us go and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived among them. Let us go and do good, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Paul knows if you can figure out how to love and respect those in your church family, those you are closest to, you'll figure out how to do it out there. Because guess what? You say, oh, out there, there's all these sinful people. Well, guess what the church is comprised of? Sinful people. It's just most of us have figured out that our sin requires Jesus. And so if we can figure out how to love here, we'll know how to do it out there. And so that is what Paul begins to explain through these 10 verses. So go back up to verse 1. He says, so brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted, but bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are several things that I, I want to point out in this. Um, first, when I, when I read verse 1, and by the way, uh, to any of you 5th and 6th grade kids who are with us, um, I'm just going to apologize right now because I'm about to use a word that your mom and dads may not exactly like. Uh, mostly because you, if you have younger siblings, all right? But when I read verse 1, the first thing that comes to my mind is that we, as the American church, suck at this. All right, we just flat out suck at gently restoring. What we do is we get rid. We just kick them out. Let some other church deal with their sin. Or we just ignore it. You know, not that big of a deal. Let's just cover it up. Because if other people find out, they may think badly about our church. So we'll just kind of cover this up. Or we go on social media and we just try to blast the people. Get them canceled in the court of public opinion. 
Paul is calling us, though, to something very, very different. He's calling us to restore them gently. And he begins to explain how to do that. The first thing I've got to point out is he, he addresses this to brothers and sisters. All right, so he's talking to a church. Right? Do not think this means that you should go out of the church family and start telling other people, hey, you know what you're doing is bad and sinful. No, they don't need to correct their life. They need Jesus. So you show them the love of Christ, and as opportunity comes, you, you, know, you serve them, you love them, but you share the gospel, and you live it out. Then if they put their faith in Jesus, you can begin to explain, here's what God desires for you. Our culture is going to tell you one thing, but God wants to see you freed from those things so that you can truly find joy in Christ. Now you can begin to help them. So th- these are first words for a church, not just words to, to go to a broader audience. The second thing that we notice is that he says if anyone is caught, um, um, well, yeah, is that my next point? Yeah. Um, the next thing is that if anyone is caught in any transgression. Right? Now, this does not mean we suddenly all turn into the sin police. Right? You, you do not report to the elders, oh, Aaron, I caught so-and-so in a lie. Um, I think you're going to have to like, kick him out or something. Right? No, this, that's not what he's getting at. All right? Again, we are all sinners. We all fall short. We're all in need of a Savior. This is not, you know, someone had a bad day and said a bad word. This is, like, bad word like suck. Uh, <laughs> this is someone caught Think of it this way, like if they're out walking the life, this is like sin running up and catching them and trapping them. It's bringing them in, right? So you, um, sorry. Um, So this is for someone who's been caught in any transgression. Um, Then it says, if they've been caught in that transgression, it says you who are spiritual should restore them. So there's a level of maturity here. So, so it's you going and, and, and seeking to help them, but you have to have a certain level of maturity. And he explains that maturity in verses 3 through 5. First, this mature person is humble. Verse 3 says, for if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. All right, so you, you've got to have a proper response on yourself. Zion, can you pop up verses 3 through 5? All right, so you've got to have a proper response, uh, a proper view of, of yourself. The second thing he points out is to let each one test his own work. If you realize you're a follower of God, you've been purchased by God, I'm sorry, you've been created by God and purchased by God, therefore what you do should fall in alignment with the heart of God. All right, is what you're doing falling in heart with God's heart? Are are you in sync with him? If you're not, your focus needs to be Christ. Turn to him, allow his grace to wash over you and become the center part of your identity. But if your walk with him is such that you're in alignment with God's heart, it's going to humble you. And so therefore, you're now beginning to be in a place to go to them. Notice the next thing it says in verse 4. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. All right, now, Paul is not saying that you should go, man, look how spiritual I am. I'm, I'm great. No, the, the Greek here is actually that you are to uh, not in regard to another in other words, you're not to live your life in a way to therefore then rank everyone and go, well, look, I'm clearly more spiritual than them, so clearly I'm the one who should go and help them. No, this isn't about you comparing them. Your comparison is to God. You fall way short on that. You need Christ. You need his Holy Spirit working in you. As you seek him and he's humbly working in you, now your heart is burdened for the things that burden Christ's heart. You see your brother or sister in Christ in sin. You want to now go and help them. You don't see them as being lower than you. They're equal with you. You're one in Christ, but you're going to seek to help to restore gently. Then verse 5. He says, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, I know some people who use this verse as an excuse to not let anyone help them. That's not what he's saying. Back in verse 2, he just said, we are to bear one another's burdens. Keep it in context. He's talking about restoration. This is someone who's been caught in sin. So this person who's been caught in the sin, you're restoring them. Well, if you live your life selfish, uh, selfishly, you will probably find yourself caught in sin. And then the energy of the church is going to have to be about gently restoring you. But if you live your life focused on Christ, if you're going after him, 
you're not going to want to be caught in that sin. And now you're free to let the church have its energy to restore others who are caught in sin. You might get to be a part of that. Now, the reason there has to be a level of spiritual maturity is because of what he says back in verse 1. He says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. In other words, it's such a failure if you go to help someone who's caught in their sin and what happens is you kind of get caught in the same sin. I know a guy who came to know Jesus out of the bar scene. So he escaped that, that world. He starts really growing in Christ and his heart starts hurting for some of his friends. So he starts going back trying to seek to help them. But rather than helping draw them out into Christ, he got sucked right back into alcohol. And it became like this, this burden. He, he became caught in sin. Now I'm going to readily admit, this idea of acknowledging someone's sin, it's, it's uncomfortable. I did not enjoy having to go and sit down with Stephen and point this out to him. And yet, I loved him. God is now using Stephen as a missionary in Nepal. I am not going to claim credit for that. All I know, though, if I had not loved him enough to go and sit down and say, hey, dude, here's what I'm seeing, maybe he wouldn't be where he is now. My heart was to see him free of this. I didn't want him to be underneath the shackles of alcohol. I wanted to see him under the shackles of Jesus. And now he is, and he's helping other people to find Jesus and follow him. So this is about going and helping them. And that's the last thing I want to point out. In verse 2, as he says to bear one another's burdens, notice he says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When God gave the ancient Jews a law, he gave it to them through Moses. So it became known as the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. It was a list of do's and don'ts. The reason God gave it to them was to help them see and understand, you can't do this on your own. That is why we needed Jesus. Jesus came, he fulfilled the law of Moses, and then established a new law, the law of Christ, a law of grace, a law of love. That's the motivation behind this. The motivation is not to get everyone into alignment, uh, that we all look the same and act the same and speak the same. No, this is about restoring someone who's been caught in sin. Because if you start helping love them, restoring them, you can do that here. You guys will know how to interact with those outside the church who may be caught in sin. Because it isn't going to scare you. You're not going to try to cancel them. You're not going to ignore them. You're not going to pretend like, well, you know what? It doesn't matter. You'll be walking in humility because you will realize the love of Christ but in order to live that way out there, we've got to do it in here. That's why John, who wrote Revelation, also in one of his letters, 1 John chapter 4, said this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's why the Apostle Paul, who uh, wrote the book of Galatians, which we've just been studying, he said in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, So love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. If we live this way, we seek to outdo one another in showing honor, we won't be able to keep people away. People will want to be part of something like that because they will see and sense and hear the gospel, the presence of God, his love for them. So do we want to change the world? It's going to start by us recognizing the Imago Dei in others. And the way to begin to do that is to practice it right here. Now, through the series, I've told you that I do not want this to just be some theological, theoretical, cognitive ideas, that I want to bring this down to the ground level. And so each week, we're trying to bring out ways for you to begin to apply some of these truths. So I've got two things for you today. The first way you can begin to live out this idea of respecting the Imago Dei, if it means practicing within a church, the first thing I would encourage you to do is volunteer. Just get, get involved right here. 
Inside your handout should be a link. Uh, you can follow that link, read a whole list of various areas here at Riverwood where you can just jump in and get involved. Some of them are super simple, like ushering, handing out you know, the programs, the, the handouts at the door when people come in or, or, or greeting people as they walk in. Some, it's like the cafe. I mean, what an awesome way to let people know you are valuable than to give them some food and coffee. Or maybe you don't have time Sundays. It's, it's coming in during the week to help clean. Or maybe God's gifted you with musical abilities and, and, and you should be up here helping lead us in song and connecting with God that way. Because the more you get involved, the more you get to know. And the more you know, the greater the opportunity for friction and problems and you learning how to love and work through those. Because then as you work through those, you become amazing and you end up just going and changing the world. So first thing is just, just jump in right here, even the smallest of ways. The second way, because of what we saw in Revelation, I'm going to encourage you to support a ministry, get involved some way, to, that reaches those different than you. Right? Now, at Riverwood, we've, we've, uh, right now we were supporting three missionaries. Uh, many of you know we, for a number of years we've been supporting Patrick and Shelby Ray as they've been planting Northside Neighborhood Church in North Minneapolis. We've spent time praying for them here. We've been hearing about the violence in their neighborhood Gunshots going off, bullets coming through walls, how kids can't go and play at playgrounds because it's not safe anymore. And they're seeking to help people understand the gospel right where they live. This last year, though, we took on two more missionaries. One is Josh and Hillary Smith. They're serving in Cambodia. Uh, they're good friends with Jake and Grace Epley, went to, to Moody together. And we heard about their ministry as they're trying to meet practical needs, reaching the poor but also just sharing the gospel. I mean, if you were to meet Josh as we met him online, this dude is just a raging evangelist. Like Jesus just oozes out of him. He's just longing to see people know Jesus. And as they come to know Jesus, they're beginning to then follow up and do discipleship, hoping to see churches planted in these villages around the capital. But also we took on another missionary. Uh, her name is Aslan McCarthy. And by God's grace and divine sovereignty, he arranged it that she would actually be here today. So I'm not going to tell you anything about Aslan, because I'm going to let her come and share it herself. So Aslan, if you'd come on up. Yeah, you can come on up here. Good morning. Really good to see you guys. My name is Aslan McCarthy, like Aaron said, and I'm really excited to be here with you in person today. Um, I was actually here I visited Riverwood one time, maybe it was like, I don't know, five or six years ago. You guys were in a different building, and so it's changed just a little bit here. But I'm really grateful to be here in your, in your building. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to share a little bit about what God is doing over in Togo. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for your guys' prayer, for your guys' support. Uh, it's making a huge difference over in Togo, and, and we really appreciate that. So I just wanted to give you really quick an overview of kind of what our team is doing in Togo. We're called the Six Degree Initiative, and we work with an organization called Converge. Um, and so we, our, our goal, our vision is to see 190,000 disciples made among 10, 10 unreached people groups in Togo and in the neighboring country of Benin. And as you hear that, I'm sure you're like, oh my goodness, that is a ton of people. And it is. This is a God-sized vision that we have, uh, that we believe God has, has placed on our hearts. And there are several different ways that, that we're seeing these, these disciples being made. So our team is divided up into five different projects. And so our first project is our Togo church planting project. And so it is kind of what it sounds. We, we're, we're planting churches in Togo. We're finding leaders in those churches who then can go and plant more churches in villages that have never heard the gospel before. Um, we're also doing this. We, we also hope to eventually do the same thing, the, to, the church planting in the neighboring country of Benin. Um, both of these places, these are where this is where voodoo was created. It's the birthplace of voodoo. And it's, it's, I, can't, I can't describe to you the darkness that we feel in, that, in both of those places on a regular basis. Actually, today is the day of um, the biggest voodoo festival in the world that takes place just, just a couple of miles from where we live. Um, it's been going on for the past 350 or so years, and it's, it's one of the darkest days of the year in Togo. So we've got our two, Togo, or our two church planting projects. We also have um, a youth camp project called Togo Palms. And so the, our, the, the population in Togo is super young. 70% of the population is under 30 years old. And so, obviously, the, the youth is, is, is something that we're attracted to, that we're, we're trying to, uh, to reach this next generation so that they can change the next generation. Um, and so, with our church planting, we're really finding a lot of these youth, uh, as, as they're young, developing them so that they can be leaders and church planters in the future. 
Um, then we also have our vocational training program, which takes those leaders that we've been developing and gives them an opportunity to also have a trade. Um, most people know that, I mean, ministry is not somewhere where you make a lot of money most of the time. And so we've, we've found that a lot of our pastors and church planters are just really struggling to make ends meet for their families. And so why not see that they, they, could, they could have a trade of, you know, a plumber or an electrician or something like that so that they can provide for their family while also doing ministry full-time and can contribute to their churches as well. And then our, our last ministry, our last project is the Deaf Project. And so I'm going to spend a little bit more time on there because that's where I'm working and I'm, I'm a little bit biased. I think it's like the best thing ever. Um, and so anyway, so I've been working with the Deaf for the, for the past few years here. And um, in Togo alone, there's, there's upwards of 80,000 people who are deaf. That makes up 1% of the population of Togo. And we, we've estimated that probably 95% of these uh, deaf people have never had any education of any sort, so they're unable to communicate. And a lot of them go from birth, they live their life, and they die without ever communicating with another person because of their deafness. Um, in a lot of ways, they're, they're mistreated, they're, they're neglected because of that, because a lot of people really don't see the value that they have. Um, as as image bearers of God and um, and so that's our goal really is to make disciples to see a disciple making movement a gospel movement among the deaf population they are considered to be an unengaged unreached people group at this point in Togo and they need Jesus so badly and so uh, some of the ways that we're doing that is we're we're able to work with a couple of local deaf schools there are a couple of schools in Togo and just seeing Starting with education, we want to see life transformation take place with the gospel. That's our ultimate goal. But if there's no ability to communicate, there's no education of any sort, there's no way for the gospel to, to really spread among this people group. And so we're really partnering with these, uh, these local schools to see what it looks like to, to get more kids, to find more kids that are hidden away in villages, to see that they have some sort of education. So I just wanted to share a story real quick, and I, I feel like it aligns really well with, with the message today. So um, if you see right here in the bottom right corner there, this guy, his name is Mausei. So Mausei is my sign language teacher. He was born deaf. Um, and we've been getting to know each other for the past few years. He's, he's one of my favorite people in the world. And uh, as, as I was learning sign language and we were finally getting to the point where we could have some conversation with each other, some deeper conversation, I noticed that he kept, he said very often, I love being deaf. And I never really had the courage to ask him, like, what, what is that about? Like, what, it, what is it that you love about being deaf? Because I know the deaf situation is very difficult in Togo. There is, there's no access for, for a lot of people. It's very difficult. So one day I got up the courage and I asked him, Mousey, what is it that you love about being deaf? And he's like, well, you know, Aslan, you're a hearing person. So you're, you're hearing noises constantly. You're hearing the dogs barking in the neighborhood. You're hearing the radio playing, you're hearing multiple voices coming into your ears all the time. It's got to be a lot. It's got to be distracting. But me, I'm, I'm deaf, and I believe that God made me deaf so that his voice, that God's voice would be the only voice that I would ever hear in my life. And it was, to me, it's, it's he, he is a man that understands that he's been made in God's image. He understands other people's value because they've been made in God's image, and I desire that so much. Um, in that same picture, well, all of these pictures really, but the little boy, the little two little boys that are sitting next to me um, are Dose and Fabrice. They're both 11 years old and they, they're deaf as well. Um, they're at the point, they just started their first year of school last year. They're actually, tomorrow is their first day of their second year of school. Um, so they're for learning sign language, they're learning language and communication for the very first time. And I know that most, that especially Dose, doesn't fully understand this concept that he is deaf, that really who he is as a person. And so, of course, he doesn't know that, that there's a God that created him. But my prayer is one day he would be like Say He would understand that he's been made in God's image. He has that value. Um, and be able to, to, to treat others with that, that same thing. And so um, I just wanted to ask you guys to continue to pray with us. There are a couple of things that you can be praying with us for. Um, first of all, I just if you would just please pray for our team. Um, God is doing some incredible things in Togo right now, and it's very obvious that his hand is on this work, but we need more people. The, the work is plentiful. The laborers are few. It's very, that is very true where we are right now. And so just please pray for more people to join us over there uh, so that we can continue to, to move forward in, in this vision that God has for us. Um, if you'd pray specifically, personally, I would appreciate praying for people to join our deaf ministry. I'm, currently, I'm the only one working in our deaf ministry, and while I love it, I would love to have some people to work with as well. And so if you could be praying for that, 
um, and praying for for our disciples that have already been made. Um, actually, in this in the, the upper left picture there, there are a couple of kids here. Um, I was able to witness them. There was a there was a camp for the deaf this summer, and I was able to witness them giving their lives to the Lord just just about a month ago, and it was the most joy I've probably ever felt um, seeing that happen. And now there's an opportunity to create disciples among these two kids. And so please be praying with us as, as these disciples are me, being made among the deaf, but among just among the hearing Togolese as well. We really need your prayers. So anyways, all that to be said, I'm going to be at the table out there later. If you want to talk anymore, I've got a little sign-up sheet. If you want to sign up for a newsletter, I've got a prayer card. Please feel free to stop by and ask any questions that you might have. While you're here, uh, I want us to pray for you. Uh, so if you guys would please join me. Well, Heavenly Father, um, I'm so thankful that Aslan could come and uh, be with us this morning. Um, as she heads back in a couple of weeks, I pray that she would just go uh, with a sense of, of renewed energy, uh, just with great joy, because she has seen what you are doing there. Thank you, God, for the lives that are being changed, the people who are understanding who you are, and, and for the deep, beautiful work that you want to do and are going to do in them. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray that you just help uh, Aslan to continue to be a, a disciple maker, that she would uh, help them develop the, the, the sign language, the, the ways to communicate this gospel so that more people would find Jesus, but then those who have found you would continue to grow and learn how to follow you. So we thank you for, for uh, partners like uh, Moise and, and others. But God, you, we, we've heard it. The, the harvest is great, but the labors are few. And so, Lord, I pray that you would raise up some laborers uh, whether those laborers are right here within Riverwood or, or in, in uh, Iowa, like Aslan's from Iowa or from, from anywhere, Lord, would you raise up humble, spiritual, mature people who would be willing to go and give their lives to help these beautiful image bearers hear the gospel, that even when their ears don't work, their minds and hearts do, and they are loved by you. So God, I pray that you would radically change the, the people in Togo. Would you protect the team that is there? Would you help them to uh, sense you're, you are surrounding them, protect them spiritually, protect them emotionally, protect them physically? Uh, Father, we know that we have an enemy who would love to disrupt what you're doing there. And so we pray that you would protect in such a way that it is evident you are at work in the midst of this. And so, Lord, we just join our prayers with Aslan and their entire team, longing to see you do something beautiful and amazing to reach these beautiful and amazing people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And seriously, uh, maybe your way today to apply what we're talking about is to uh, stop by and uh, figure out a way. Just because Riverwood financially and perfectly supports Aslan doesn't mean you guys can't also as individuals. So feel free to get her uh, newsletters. Uh, feel free to figure out how to begin to support her uh, financially. Uh, help us to reach a, a unreached people group, uh, the deaf in, in Togo. Um, but our goal today, though, is, is not to be like Aslan. Aslan, as a follower of Christ, heard God's call and decided to, to apply that to, to Togo. That's great. She's going to help reach people. But, but our goal isn't to just mimic what she's done, whether to go to Togo or, or to go to Des Moines. Uh, our, our goal is to be like Jesus. Jesus gave himself by coming to this earth to help reach the Imago Dei. He wants to see it restored. And if we're going to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, he is to be our model. He's who we go after. And so that's my, my last plea, if you will, that, that you just seek after Christ. Let him work deeply in you. And, and as you become then that spiritually mature person who can love the people right here, he can then send you to go out there, whether out there is just at work or at school or Togo. So let us pray, and we move into our time of communion. So Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, what you are doing, not just in Togo, but even right here. And I pray that your work would extend to us in this place. God, I just continue to pray that you would make the Riverwood family a place where your grace is known, your grace is experienced, and your grace is what motivates us and compels us, that, that we would truly go and love people that we would not fall into the, the world's way of thinking of, of creating hierarchies, of ranking certain people as being better than someone else, or even worse, thinking that we are better than someone else. Instead, God, help us to see the value that are in all humans, regardless of their race, regardless of their ideologies, regardless of their religion. 
And God, what we long then is to see you work so deeply in us that we are like Christ, that we bring your love to these people and that these image bearers whose image may be still marred and distorted could begin to be restored through Christ, that they, like these two people we just heard, uh, these young people in Togo who a month ago gave their life to Jesus, that we'd see that sort of thing happening right here in our communities, among our friends, among our uh, circles. So God, that's why I just pray that you'd motivate us, draw us because of your grace to become like Jesus. And that through that, we then go and show incredible respect to those around us. May we be the change agents that this world needs. Lord, we, we aren't foolish enough to think that each of us individually can somehow change the entire world. Only you, Jesus, can do that. But God, you can use us to change the world for one person. So who is that one? Who are you sending us to? How can we go and be a blessing at school, at work, in our neighborhoods, even within our own homes? Lord Jesus, I just pray you'd work that, that out in us, helping us to see the world the way you see it so that we might go and value the Imago Day the same way you do. We would give our lives to this mission of helping people to find you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, at this time, I'm going to invite you to the communion elements. Uh, at this point, as the band leads us in another worship song, we will open up the tables. Uh, if you are a first-time guest with us, our, we celebrate what is known as open communion, meaning this table is open to you if you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that if at some point in your life you gave your life over to him, that means you understand the gospel. You understand that Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. He rose again from the dead. And that makes all the difference in the world. You realize you've been created by God and purchased by God. And so if that's you, whether if this is your first time, you're free to come to partake in these elements. Because when you take that bread, you're realizing that represents the body of Jesus, which was broken through the whiplash, through the crown of thorns, through the nails on the cross, through the last of his breath. And when you then peeled it back to get to the juice, that's his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. He had you in mind when he went to that cross. And so if you understand this gospel, let's do this in remembrance of him because he has created us and he's purchased us. But if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I just want to say I'm glad you came, really. I, I, we started Riverwood Church for you. We want to help you understand this life-changing gospel. But if you're not quite there yet, if you still got questions then I'm just going to ask that you just very respectfully not go to these tables. At Riverwood, we are not about appearances. Obviously, I'm the pastor. Instead, we want you just to seek after Jesus. So if that means you've got to stay where you're at and have a conversation with God, by all means, do so. No one is going to judge you for not getting up and going to these elements. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus, though. And right now, you realize you're caught in some transgression. Maybe this coming to the elements is part of your confession, or maybe some of it is you just needing to stay right where you're at. So during the song, at any moment, you can go ahead and get the elements and bring them back to your table, I mean, your, your, your chair. You could also stand and sing. You can kneel. You stay and sit. This is our opportunity to just go to God, to ask him, what do you want to do in me so you can do what you want through me? So let us go now and do this in remembrance of him.